0: Hello and welcome to Measure Twice, the podcast for professionals in plastic surgery. I am your host, Mobeshya Chima, and I am super excited to bring you this podcast. But first, a disclaimer. This is a professional podcast and only intended for professionals in the field. It presupposes a significant level of knowledge and uses a lot of medical jargon, which makes it unsuitable source of information for general public. Any comments made here do not and cannot replace the evaluation and judgement of your medical professional. Please avoid self diagnosis by search engines. First off in the breast section of PRS is the 9-year follow-up study of 92 women, half autologous and half of them implant-based breast reconstructions, they filled in a breast Reconstruction Questionnaire in 2010 and then in 2019. This paper reports on the comparison between the two time frames and between the two types of reconstructions. They found the patient satisfaction decreased over time with both reconstruction types. It is an interesting paper in that there was no clear preference between the two techniques, at least with the numbers included cause 45 and 47 in each arm the back of envelope calculation would make me think that it may not give it enough power to find a significant difference between the two groups so this is one study that would benefit from being done as a multi-center study because that may settle the question of which type of reconstruction do patients prefer in the long term and then we can have a more informed discussion about which type of reconstruction is quote-unquote better. The short, cheaper option with a prosthetic but with the longer-term risk profile or the autologous reconstruction procedure with its scars and failure rates. Next is a paper from New York with some prominent names who give us the ground reality about patients who were implanted with the Allergan macrotexture devices. The authors contacted 89 patients who had received the STYLE-410 implants to counsel them about BIA-ALCL. After an F- face-to-face consultation, about 78% women chose to keep the implants and have regular surveillance, and only about 22% chose to have them removed. And those who who chose to have them removed were more likely women who had had breast cancer in the past. Now, I see this study feeding into the currently raging discussion about the fate of existing macrotextured implants as well as textured implants in general. To be clear, there is no current government advisory from any government that recommends prophylactic removal of macrotextured breast implants however there are a few names arguing for it presumably they'd be doing it for free from the goodness of their heart i don't know and that brings us to the uncomfortable discussion about objectivity as a clinician and potential conflict of commercial interest i'd let you think that one out but this study tells us that 78% patients still wanted to keep their macrotextured implants Remember when breast reduction patients come to you complaining, among other things, about a backache and you say, "Mm, I don't know, I'm not certain that it would improve the backache. Well, there is a study from McGill University which looked at exactly that with six different questionnaires, visual analog score, breast cue and others and since this is Canada in English and French. well as post-op checks with the surgeon, three types of physical assessments, uh, all of which were done at uh, the initial consult, two weeks, six weeks, and six months post-operatively. So whoever was the resident supervising all this or the research fellow, I hear you mate, you are a legend. In addition, patients had an MRI at pre-op and at six months as well as EOS imaging, again, pre-op and six weeks. I didn't know what EOS was, so I did some digging. Turns out that a Polish professor, Georges Charpak, working in CERN, Geneva, and in Paris, received a Nobel Prize in 1992 for his work he carried out originally in 1968. In brief, when subatomic particles collide with each other, or with atoms, they form a shower of new particles, whose pattern and composition is a telltale sign of what initially started the process. So, Georges Charpak in 1968 developed a device to detect all this shower more effectively. He built something called a multi-wire proportional chamber, which was a box whose wall had a certain electrical charge, and inside had an inert gas and lots of parallel wires with a different charge. So basically a spark plug for all you piston heads out there. Whenever a particle entered, it would collide with the gas, started the shower of different other particles, and those in turn would disturb the wires. And a computer would be able to read off the exact configuration. And this was 1968, where this device was a considerable improvement on existing technology. So EOS is a commercial device that uses the same principle to get low-dose x-ray radiography and if taken in two planes can combine them into a 3D reconstruction as well. Which brings us back to the original conversation about the McGill study of breast reduction patients and their backache symptoms. All the women reported Improvement in symptoms, but interestingly not related to the volume of breast tissue removed and While the MRI did not show difference in in cross-section of the muscles The EOS imaging did show objective improvement in spinal angles All in all, I think a solid paper and My respects to whoever did the analysis in our version 3.3.2, codename Sincere Pumpkin Patch. In cosmetic section, the Belfast experience of autoplasty: a 10-year review of uh, 2300 plus years in 1199 patients. Nearly two-thirds were done with the anterior scoring method The decision process and surgical technique is described in detail in the text and I won't repeat that. Among other things, they found that the anterior scoring and suture only techniques have similar hematoma rates of around 1.5%. In special topic section is a meta-analysis of the effect of liposuction on body weight and serum concentration of leptin lipids, glucose, and insulin. For an average 2.6 kg weight loss, they observed consistent improvement in the parameters. It is a meta-analysis, so I can't do full justice to it in the current time, but those are very interesting findings indeed. Gerber et al tested the effect of hyaluronidase on different fillers and found that it takes five to nine hours Faster with the higher concentration of hyaluronidase, which in this study went up to 20 units per ml, and faster with the less cross-linked HA fillers. Then, ICG versus multispectral reflectance imaging, or MSRI, cause ICG, or endocyanin green, as you know, measures perfusion. You turn the lights down, get the ICG camera, inject it on the venous side and see the branching pattern in your flap. And in a few seconds to minutes, either it stops going forward or does so at such a slow rate that you think "Hmm, it's never going to make it any further. And whatever the gray halo is left unperfused, you mark it and excise it out. As likely, uh, this would be an unreliable perfusion after anastomosis. Now, ICG has served us really well for the last 10-15 years but there has been an increasing realization that we need more accurate understanding of what's happening at the cellular level. For that, there is a new device, the MSRI. Multispectral imaging started off from remote sensing applications where for example a camera on board an orbiting satellite taking pictures of the vegetation on the ground would look at not just the overall color of each pixel, but also how bright it looked in red, green, blue and other wavelengths. If you ever tried to do color correction in Photoshop or a similar software, you know what I'm talking about. The version used in medical field is similar in principle and is adapted to look at the subtle difference in light absorption between oxygenated and deoxygenated hemoglobin of similar to a pulse oximeter i guess but where a pulse oximeter looks at just red light remember that it's not laser so not monochromatic in the red light there is maximum difference in absorption between oxygen and deoxyhemoglobin the multispectral reflectance imaging does look at a defined set of wavelengths to judge what is perfused and what is not the benefit is that you don't need to inject anything in the patient or in the flap, and the downside is that it can only see up to 3 mm depth from the surface, whereas with ICG you can pretty much see through the tissue. So the paper says that uh, MSRI is better because ICG over-predicts excision, which is fine and sounds physiological, until you read that it over-predicts by around square centimeters, i.e. the difference between the two techniques isn't even a single square inch. My take on this would be to ask well, which one is cheaper, I'll take that one. The advertisements for MSRI device used in this study says it's low cost but doesn't quite say how low. I think that would be quite important to know its cost effectiveness, especially for low income countries. One last paper from PRS before we move along. Zelensky et al. comparing time to bony union in open tibial fractures after free or local flaps. Level 1 trauma center, 118 patients, 5-year follow-up, 42 local muscle, 10 local fasciocutaneous, 5 free fasciocutaneous, and 61 free muscle, including myocutaneous flaps vast majority for gastillo-3B injuries. Location as you'd suspect, local muscle for proximal or mid-shaft, local fasciocutaneous cutaneous for distal, and free flap in mid as well as distal thirds. The commonest, or most common, as some reviewers prefer, the most common free flap was latissimus dorsi, and local flap was cilius. Cilius you wouldn't blink an eye for, but LD may raise eyebrows with the aficionados of entrolateral uh, thigh flap. Time to union did not depend on timing of fixation if you knew that you would be flapping. If, however, you underestimated the initial injury as a type 1, then the union time went longer. About one third patients had non union, which was declared at six months post op, and of the rest that did unite, Free Flaps United at average of about 3 months 3 weeks and Local Flaps at 5 months. Muscle Flaps on average at about 4 months and fasciocutaneous Flaps at 5.5 months. There is a lot more data, for example on failure, salvage, and I can dissect it all day long. It does not talk about deep infection rates however, as we discussed in previous episode. In the studies from Fries all in Oxford and the three-center study from UK, Italy, and Pakistan. But still, it is a brilliant paper. Totally worth a good read. Coming to aesthetic surgery journal, Rehnquist, Jagger, and Stavron have published a six-year review of Motiva round and ergonomics implants in 1053 female patients. About 50% primary breast augmentation, about 23% secondary BA, another about 20% primary augmentation pexy, and about 8% secondary augmentation pexy. In terms of implant volume for primary BA, just over half the patients had implant volume in 3 to 400 range. About 20% had the implant volume in the 2 to 300 range. And the rest distributed on either side and similar sort of distribution for secondary cases as well. I couldn't see um, how many were subglandular versus dual plane but the overall complication rate was low. Even bottoming out was at 1.5%. There are details of the surgical techniques in the paper which I found interesting especially when compared to the academic-clinical method by Perheden or Perheden as he's known in the English-speaking world Calomani et al. used ultrasound to verify the positioning of soft tissue fillers and found that initial positioning was accurate and that their spread from the initial position was predictable although it slowed down when measured at the date of placement, when measured at two weeks and when measured at one month later. Chemi and Kelly Shadis paper looking at polydioxanone or PDO mesh for complex revision breast surgery single surgeon study of 104 patients over 2 years 60% patients had had one previous surgery and around 35% had two to three previous operations and some more than that all smooth silicone gel implants the surgical technique is described in good detail if you want to have a look The average pre-op implant size was around 420 cc and post-op was about 590 cc for an increase in size of 170 to 180 cc for most patients. And with all that, only about 12% complication rate and from what I can extrapolate, re-operation rate of around 4%, not bad at all. And with that is the end of this abbreviated episode, hope to see you soon. And in the meantime, keep stitching.